This morning we're continuing our journey through the lectionary, and this morning, as I told you last week, we're going to be reading the story of David and Goliath. It goes throughout the entire chapter 17 of 1 Samuel, but instead of reading that entire chapter to you, I'm going to read some selected verses, and I will encourage you to read that whole chapter on your own later on. But before I read that to you, I invite you to bow your heads and join me in prayer. Let us pray. Holy and gracious God, we come to you now with open hearts, hopeful to hear your word. We pray by the grace of your spirit that the words we hear and the thoughts of our hearts will lead us to your will for all of us as your church and for each of us as your children. Dear God, we love you. We thank you for your love. Amen. So again, 1 Samuel chapter 17. Now the Philistines gathered their armies for battle. Saul and the Israelites gathered and encamped in the valley of Elah and formed ranks against the Philistines. The Philistines stood on the mountain on one side and Israel stood on the mountain on the other side with the valley between them. And there came out from the camp of the Philistines a champion named Goliath of Gath, whose height was six cubits and a span. He had a helmet of bronze on his head and he was armored with a coat of mail and the weight of the coat was 5,000 shekels of bronze. He had greaves of bronze on his legs and a, a javelin of bronze slung between his shoulders. The shaft of his spear was like a weaver's beam, and his spear's head weighed 600 shekels of iron, and his shield-bearer went before him. He stood and shouted to the ranks of Israel, Why have you come out to draw up for battle? Am I not a Philistine, and are you not servants of Saul? Choose a man for yourselves and let him come down to me. If he's able to fight with me and kill me, then we will be your servants. But if I prevail against him and kill him, then you shall be our servants and serve us. And the Philistines said, Today I defy the ranks of Israel. Give a man that we may fight together. When Saul and all Israel heard these words of the Philistine, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. David said to Saul, Let no one's heart fail because of him. Your servant will go and fight with this Philistine. Saul said to David, You're not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him, for you are just a boy, and he has been a warrior from his youth. But David said to Saul, Your servant used to keep sheep for his father, and whenever a lion or a bear came and took a lamb from the flock, I went after it and struck it down, rescuing the lamb from its mouth. And if it turned against me, I would catch it by the jaw, strike it down, and kill it. Your servant has killed both lions and bears, and this uncircumcised Philistine shall be like one of them, since he has defied the armies of the living God. David said, The Lord who saved me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will save me from the hand of this Philistine. Saul said to David, Go, and may the Lord be with you. Saul clothed David with his armor. He put a bronze helmet on his head and clothed him with a coat of mail. David strapped a tall sword over the armor, and he tried in vain to walk, for he was not used to them. Then David said to Saul, I cannot walk with these, for I'm not used to them. So David removed them. He took his staff in his hand and chose five smooth stones from the wadi, put them in his shepherd's bag in a pouch. His sling was in his hand, and he drew near the Philistine. The Philistine came on and, and drew near David with his shield-bearer in front of him. When the Philistine looked and saw David, he disdained him, for he was only a youth, ruddy and handsome in appearance. The Philistine said to David, Am I a dog that you come to me with sticks? But David said to the Philistine, You come to me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of the hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. 
This very day the Lord will deliver you into my hand, so that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel, and that all this assembly may know that the Lord does not save by sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hand. When the Philistine drew nearer to meet David, David ran quickly towards the battle line to meet the Philistine. David put his hand in his bag, took out a stone, and slung it, and struck the Philistine on his forehead. The stone sank into his forehead, and he fell face down on the ground. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So as I already told you this morning, it's Father's Day, and and my mind is often with my father. One of the things that I have always done in order to show my loyalty and my love to my father is I've always cheered for his alma mater, his football team. When I was a child, as the story goes, all of my friends in South Carolina either cheered for Clemson or South Carolina. And so I went up to one of my friends one day and I said, why is it that you cheer for South Carolina? He was a Gamecock fan. And he said, well, that's because my father went there. And so I marched right home to my father and I said, Dad, did you go to Clemson or did you go to South Carolina? And he said, son, I went to Georgia. And from that moment on, I've been a Bulldog fan. Through thick and thin, through ups and downs, through their good times and many bad times, I've continued to cheer for Georgia all because my father went there. So you can imagine my consternation when I realized a few years ago that my father doesn't cheer for Georgia anymore. We had set everything up. I was home visiting him in South Carolina, and there was a game on TV, and I decided, well, this will be a good way to bond with my dad. We'll both cheer on the Bulldogs. They were heavily favored. I don't know who they were playing, but we set things up, bought a couple of sub sandwiches, sweet tea right there with our TV trays set up, and we were sitting there cheering them on, and then all of a sudden I noticed when the other team uh, made a good tackle, I saw my dad just kind of give a little fist bump there. And I thought, well, that's odd. We're not cheering for that team. And then a few minutes later, when they they got a first down, my dad said, yeah, I think that's a first down. That's a first down. And I said, well, we don't want them to get a first down. That's the other team. And then worst of all, when the referee threw a penalty flag against my team, the Georgia Bulldogs, my dad let out a little cheer like, yeah, they shouldn't have done that. That was cheating. And then I turned and looked at him and I said, I think you're cheering for the other team. I let him have it. I was so mad at him after so many years of faithfulness and loyalty, he was no longer cheering for the team that I was cheering for. We were both supposed to be Bulldog fans. The only reason why I cheered for Georgia was because he went to Georgia. And that's when he finally let me in on a little secret. He said, son, somewhere along the way, I just learned, always cheer for the underdog. And that's what he's always done. We all, from time to time, like to cheer for the underdog. In fact, those are the best stories. Those are the stories we love the most, whether we're reading a book or whether we're watching TV, whether we're watching a movie. We love underdog stories. We love those stories where all the odds are against the hero. He looks like he's never going to win. There's no chance in the world, but somehow the underdog pulls it out. We love to, to cheer for the underdog. Somehow that inspires us more than if the predictable person wins, the one with all the strength, with all the odds in their favor. We like it when the underdog wins, and we love those kind of stories. And we read those stories and hear those stories all the time, and believe it or not, truly the Bible is full of those stories. In fact, you could even say that in some respects the Bible is an underdog story of the people of God who would not be who they were if it weren't for God's help. Stories like Jacob and Esau, 
Esau, where, where Jacob was able to get the birthright, even though Esau was the older brother. Stories where, like Moses defeating Pharaoh, all those kind of stories, even stories of women in the Bible who were so devalued and, and underprivileged in the, that time and that culture, and yet every time they did something, it was all because they were empowered by God, unexpected as it was. We love stories like that. And of course, maybe the most famous of all the underdog stories is the story of David and Goliath. You all know this story well. I read parts of it to you there. It's that famous story where the Philistines and the, and the Israelites are sitting on two, two sides of the hill, almost like a big football game. They're old arch rivals ready to fight each other again, but the Philistines are a much more powerful army. The Philistines were, were down by the coast, and so they were able to import weapons from places all over the Mediterranean, whereas the, the Israelites were up in the, in the foothills. They could only use the weapons that they could gather themselves, and so the, the Philistines were not only a more powerful army, but they had this great secret weapon, but it really wasn't so secret. They had this incredible champion named Goliath, this big, powerful, we've probably almost overemphasized what an incredible, his size and strength, but the truth of the matter is he was a champion, an undefeated champion, and everybody knew it. In fact, the Philistines thought the easiest way not only to, to win this battle, but to save the lives of all the people here were, let's just invite Goliath to go out into the middle of the field and invite the Israelite champion to come out into the middle of the field because we know who will win. We'll win the battle and therefore win the war. But standing out there in the middle of that field, Goliath chanted back to the Israelites, calling them down, calling down their God, telling them that they were afraid, telling them how scared they were. And you know what? Goliath was right. They were terrified. They knew there was nobody in their army that could beat Goliath. And so there they were, terrified and paralyzed, knowing that there was no one that they could send to beat this great warrior but also afraid of running away, afraid of retreating, knowing that the Philistines would just follow them and they would lose the battle. There they were, so afraid. And so they were paralyzed. That's what happens to us when fear takes over in our lives. We preached a sermon series on fear a few years ago. We talked about how fear can paralyze us when our, our lives are motivated by fear. We don't know what else to do. We don't know if we should continue to go forward and challenge that fear ahead of us or if we should retreat. And so, so often we just are paralyzed right where we are. I remember this old story from the Civil War about the Union General George McClellan. He was uh, the, the general of the Army of the Potomac. And there's a story about him. He and Abraham Lincoln all never really saw eye to eye with each other. Abraham Lincoln always wanted him to go out and, and conquer it and, and challenge the Confederate armies. But George McClellan was always a little bit scared. He was always unsure. He always thought the Confederates probably had more soldiers than he knew about. And so he would go around the Confederate armies and, and avoid conflict as best he could. That's why he got the, the nickname the Virginia Creeper, like that, that poison ivy that's up in Virginia. One day, as the story goes, he came up to the Chickahominy River, which is not too far from Williamsburg there where I went to school, and they stood on that riverbank, and they were, he, George McClellan was looking out at the river, and he said, I wonder how deep it is. I, I would hate for us to lose our men and lose our horses drowning in the river. Maybe we should try to calculate how deep this river is right where we are, or maybe we should go up further, further up the bank and, and cross where we know the river is a little more, uh, uh, not as, as, as a little more shallow, not as deep. 
deep. And so they stood there for several minutes trying to decide what to do, paralyzed on that river bank. When finally one of the sergeants had enough, he jumped on the back of his horse, rode right out into the middle of the river and said, this is how deep it is, general. Because he was tired of waiting. That's what happens to us when we're afraid. It paralyzes us. We don't know what to do when fear motivates us. And maybe that's why we love David so much. Because for whatever reason, David is not motivated by fear. David is not paralyzed by fear. He is mobilized by his faith. In that moment when he has every reason to be afraid, when all the odds are against him, when all the odds are against Israel, he is not paralyzed, he is mobilized. Because he believes that God has called him. Now, of course, we know, we would know what it's like to be afraid. We've never faced anyone like Goliath before in our lives, but we've faced moments in our lives where, where we're afraid as well. Moments where we might be paralyzed from time to time. We don't know what it's like to face a great warrior like that, but we know what it's like to face insurmountable odds. That's what Walter Brueggemann says in his commentary is that Goliath for us is not like a great big warrior, but it's anything that makes us feel small, makes us feel intimidated, makes us feel broken. He says Goliath for us is whatever it is in our lives that paralyzes us. If you're drowning in a mountain of debt and you don't know how to get out of it, that's Goliath. Or if you've just lost a loved one and that grief is sitting on top of you like a, a thousand pound elephant. That can be Goliath. Or if you or someone you love is dealing with addiction and you can't get out of it, that's Goliath. Or if you've just heard that, that your treatment is still no longer working and there's, there's not any more answers left, that's Goliath. Or maybe for us as a community, for us as a church, for us as a world, we have so many things that we just can't get through. Hatred and prejudice is Goliath. Finding ways to work peaceably with our neighbors seems to be Goliath right now. We can't get through it. And so it just paralyzes us. We're not sure whether to go forward or to go back. That's why we love David. Because somehow, someway, David is not motivated by fear. He's motivated by faith. David seems to know that he has been called by the one true God. And that calling is all he needs to hear. When he hears those words of Goliath, he won't stand for anyone who would disrespect his God. And there are people like David around us every day. People that, even though the odds are all against them, even though the odds are, are not in their favor, they still stand up, mobilized by their faith. The great Presbyterian preacher John Buchanan tells this great story from the civil rights movement during that time of desegregation when we were desegregating schools all throughout the South. He tells a story about a young girl named Tessie. She was sort of like Ruby Bridges, but she was another child who was at another elementary school trying to help desegregate that school. She lived with her grandmother named Martha, and she was going to school and facing that same kind of criticism, facing that same kind of ridicule. All these people all around her were yelling at her, cursing her, telling her she was doing the wrong thing. One day she was sitting at her breakfast table before school and, and Tessie looked up at her grandmother Martha and she said, I'm just not going to school today. She had decided she couldn't handle it anymore. But then, as John Buchanan tells it, her grandmother said these words, 
It's no picnic. I know that, Tessie, going to that school. Lord Almighty, if I could just go with you and stop there in front of that building and call all of those people to my side and read to them from the Bible and tell them, remind them that He's up there. Jesus is watching over all of us. But I tell you, you're doing them a big service. You're doing them a great favor. You see, my child, you have to help the good Lord with this world. He puts us here and He calls us to help Him out. You belong in that school and there will be a day one day when everyone will know it. Lord, I pray for them, those poor folks out there shouting their heads off at you, for you are one of the Lord's people. He put His hand on you. He's given a call to you. Hearing those words, Tessie finished up her breakfast, washed her plate in the sink, and went and got her backpack on. She was going to school. That's what happens to us when we know we're called and we let that calling of God motivate us rather than that fear behind us to hold us back. That fear that paralyzes us, but that calling of God who says, you are my child and I have a purpose and a plan for you then nothing else matters in that moment when we let that be our calling, when we let that be our guide, when we let that be what motivates us. Putting our faith and trust in the one true God who made the heavens and the earth. That's why we love David so much. That's why maybe we wish we could be like David a little more. But before I conclude, we have to be honest with ourselves. Because as much as we cheer on David and we like to cheer on those underdogs, very few of us like to be the underdog, do we? Very few of us try to be like that shepherd boy. Very few of us like to try to be the underdog. We like to be the champion. We try to do everything in our power to get as many trophies as we can, to get as much power as we can, to get as much wealth as we can. Because once we get a little taste of winning, well, we almost get afraid to lose, don't we? Somehow, some way, we want to be more like Goliath. Even though we know David is the underdog, David is the one that we should be championing and cheering on, we want to be like Goliath in our own lives. Because we believe somehow that that's what protects us. That's what saves us. Now don't get me wrong, the resources that we have in this church and in our lives are certainly for a purpose, but they're not for a purpose to save us. They're for a purpose of helping other people. Helping those people in need. No, when we put too much faith in that power that we have somehow gained, too much faith in that wealth that we have, then sooner or later we're going to realize that there's still one power left in the universe that can still knock Goliath down. Even David tried to become like Goliath as he got older and became king. He forgot all those ways of his past and betrayed his friends, betrayed his family. We all want to be like Goliath until once again we realize that Goliath eventually will be defeated. No, our calling is to put our faith and trust into the one power that matters in the universe. The one comfort in life And in death, as our book of confession says, that Jesus Christ is Lord, that the greatest Goliath in history, our death, has already been conquered by the greatest underdog in history, a man from Nazareth named Jesus. And no matter how many times we are defeated in our lives, the only way that we will be unconquered is if we put our faith and our trust 
in God's glory and not in our own. I've told you this story before. It's a story that uh, has moved me several times from a chaplain who I worked with in the hospital. He had been working with a young teenager who was fighting cancer for many years, and then finally one day uh, the treatment stopped working. In fact, the treatment was starting to hurt him, and, and he got really sick and was in the hospital, even put on life support. And his family was struggling, trying to decide, what in the world are we going to do? Are we going to try different treatment? Or are we just going to keep him on life support? And they were paralyzed there for a few minutes, but finally their faith took over. They realized that they put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ who had already conquered death. And so they called in their minister and called in their youth minister and they stood around that hospital bed, held hands together. And as they took their child off life support, they sang these words, Amazing grace, how sweet the sound. Save the wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see. They knew Goliath had fallen. They knew that death had no power anymore. The same God who took care of their son in life would take care of their son in death and in life again. Because that God that we love, that God who loves us, can take down Goliath with sticks and stones. That God who loves us so took down death with a cross and with a tomb. That God who loves us so gives us hope when all else fails. That God is the one who gives us reason to always cheer for the underdog. To the glory of God. Amen.